Today's message is going to be a little bit different. Uh, first of all, um, usually we start by reading Scripture pretty early on in the process and kind of go forwards and explain it from there. Today we're going to do things a little bit backwards, and I won't be sharing, we'll be speaking about Bible verses, but I won't really share what I think the key verse is until toward the end. <clears throat> Second, this is actually part two of what we started last week, where you guys are preaching, not me. Uh, if you remember that assignment at the beginning of November when I asked you to complete the sentence, because I'm a Christian, comma, and then fill in the rest. And there's not quite as many, not quite as much input today uh, from you, because uh, the theme today is a little bit different, and last time we had about 25 different people that I quoted, and there's about seven or eight today. But I think you'll still really appreciate that part. Uh, and, and then third, because I'm going to start off with kind of a silly video that, uh, that will require a little bit of explanation. The video you're about to see does not have any sound, so I'll kind of talk you through it. It was made back in late September. Um, a few of you have seen it. It's actually about one minute of footage from one of our security cameras that we installed in the church back about the beginning of the year. And no, you are not going to see a crime being committed. Um, we are currently combing through some footage to find the person who tried to steal one of our catalytic converters, but we haven't caught them yet. Um, but what you'll see is, is you're going to see something kind of unusual happen. You're going to see me come into the picture a little bit more casually dressed than usual because I had stopped by on, a, on my day off. Pastor Wes and I were going to replace a couple of bulbs up here on stage that had gone out, so I was going to get the ladder and I had the bulbs in my hand. But as I walk into the, the gym, I get a little bit distracted. So um, let's see. Let's go ahead and show the video now. Um, it is kind of a strange thing to not have sound. But this is what the view is of this side of our, our gym here from security cameras. There's me coming in to bring the bulbs, put them down on staging at the ladder. I noticed that um, there were a couple things on the floor there. This is where, I, so watch me now. Right. Now, if you look at what happens to me after that ball goes through the hoop, it's, it's kind of telling. Um, Aren't you glad we spent all that money on those cameras, by the way? I, I know that I am. And, uh, yeah, I, I know that um, my daughter-in-law described my response to the ball going through the hoop as, as a little kid who just did something impressive and turns around to see if Dad was watching. I, will t I am under no illusion that I am any kind of world-class soccer player, and I know that I could line that ball up here and try that 500 more times, and that would never happen again. What was really going through my mind <clears throat> was not, wow, look what I did, but wow, this cool thing just happened. It just happened to me, and nobody saw it, so I don't get to share it with anybody. I, I have to tell somebody about this thing that just happened to me, and when you see me turning around to go back the other direction, I could hear Wes coming in from the Welcome Center, and so I met him about halfway through the gym, and I said, Wes, you're not going to believe what happened. This cool thing just happened. No one's ever going to believe it, and I'm the only one that saw it. And I described it to him, and I think he believed me. And so we sat there kind of commiserating for a second. And then all of a sudden, Weskin went, wait, the cameras. And he remembered that. So we went back to the security desk and, and, and combed through the footage for a while <laughs> until we found that. But the point, there is a point to this, by the way. And the point is this, that there is something inside of us as human beings that when something great or unusual or awesome happens to us, or we get really excited about something, what do we want to do right away? Yeah, we want to tell people about it. We want to share it with people, right? We want other people to experience at some level what we have just experienced, right? In fact, in most cases, this experience or this joy or this excitement is really incomplete until we can share it with somebody else, until we can kind of experience it along with other people uh, in community. 
I want you to listen to this response to the because I'm a Christian challenge, uh, answering that particular, or, or finishing that sentence. Here's what this person says. Because I'm a Christian, I get to be part of the biggest fan club of all time. More extreme than any boy band groupie, sports team enthusiast, or cult classic follower, the camaraderie and unity you feel as a part of the body of Christ is deeper and more reliable than any earthly group. Don't you like that? There are, uh, there are lots of dimensions to that answer, of course, including the, the fellowship side of things. But I, I was particularly struck by the idea that the church is the greatest fan club ever. I've never heard us called a fan club before. But think about it. Why do people join fan clubs? Why, why do people band together to root for their favorite sports team? Why do they band together to, to follow their favorite musical group or talk about their common interests? Simply because of this impulse that we have to share things with other people, to share in our joy and our excitement, to share with other people that which impacts us and affects us the most. And of course, the obvious question for us and for me is this. If we reflexively want to share with others the feelings and experiences that impact us the most, then how does that apply to us knowing Jesus? In fact, knowing what he's done for us in saving us from our sin. John chapter 1. One of the first people to ever hear Jesus preach is a guy by the name of Andrew. And the first thing, John tells us, the very first thing that Andrew did upon realizing who was talking to him and preaching to him and who Jesus was, the first thing he wanted to do, he immediately ran and found his brother, Peter, or Simon at the time. And he said, hey, we found the Messiah. Two verses later, Jesus invites a guy named Philip to follow him. The first thing Philip does, he goes and he finds his friend Nathaniel and he says, hey, check this out. A few chapters later, you find this woman talking to Jesus at a well. Long conversation, but at the end of this conversation, she realizes who Jesus is, that he is the promised Messiah, and in fact, that he is her Savior. And what does she do? She drops her water bucket, and she runs back to the town to tell everybody who she has met and what he has said to her. Or you can think about that, that guy on the other side of the Sea of Galilee over in the land of the Gerasenes who Jesus had delivered from a legion of demons. And he got so excited he wanted to follow Jesus and go along with him and his disciples. But Jesus said, no, you can't follow me right now. But what I want you to do is go and tell everybody around you what God has done for you. And we never see that man again. But it's interesting, the next time Jesus shows up on that side of the Sea of Galilee, they're ready for him. And they bring him a deaf man. And Jesus heals him, and it's an amazing miracle. And they keep talking about this miracle even after Jesus tells them not to. And it says that the, the, more, the more he charged them to be quiet, the more they proclaimed it. Why? It says they were astonished beyond measure. They couldn't help themselves. So these are people that can't stop sharing about Jesus even when he's telling them not to. And I'm thinking, how often do I share about Jesus when he's told me the exact opposite? Am I really as excited about what Jesus has done for me as I am about a ball going through a hoop or, or my team winning the Super Bowl or, or my favorite artist coming out with a new album or the new video game that just came out or the, the cool recipe that I just found on Pinterest or whatever it is? Here are a couple other answers that you gave me. Because I'm a Christian, I'm alive. My Jesus saved me from dying of cancer, no doubt about it. Because I'm a Christian, I experience genuine joy every day. 
Because I'm a Christian, I now have a life that Jesus promised would be an abundant life, surpassing anything I could have imagined it would have been before becoming a Christian. It has been one marvelous adventure after another, miracle upon miracle, and to top it off, I have a place prepared by Jesus for me when this life is all over, awaiting me in heaven for all eternity. Won't you please come and join me in this journey? Can you maybe sense just a little bit of the excitement in the voices of the people that are writing these things? I can. See, last week, after hearing all those testimonies we heard about how because we're believers we can find peace and strength and stability and comfort and security in the midst of hard times, suffering, adversity. What we found last week is that there are times when Christians are anchored and we stay still and we are stable and we hold our ground when the rest of the world is, is, is losing it and they're panicking and they're going off the rails. This week we're going to find that the converse of that is also true, that there are times when Christians are the only ones moving when the world stands still. We are the ones who are compelled to act when others refuse to move. When the world is content with the status quo, we Christians are filled with a holy discontent and a desire to move, which is born of a desire to share with other people the wonderful treasure that we found and the joy that we now have in our hearts. And this works out not just in what we say, but also in what we do. I, I want you to listen to this answer. This is a fairly extended answer, but it takes a slightly different approach to my question. It goes like this. Because I'm a Christian, there are things I would not normally do, but because I'm a Christian, I want to do them anyway. Several years ago, I was challenged by a Christmas play at another church about ministering to my neighbors. How effective is our Christian walk if we go to church all the time but miss the very people who are living beside us? Since then, I try to always take a special treat to my neighbors to say simply, we care. In fact, it's usually at Thanksgiving that I try to take a goodie that simply says, we are thankful for our neighbors. Because I'm a Christian, I choose to take the time to make, package, and deliver these things to strangers because, sad to say, I still don't really know some of them as a gesture of kindness. I've never had someone ask me, why should I be what you are? What difference does it make for you? Maybe I never will. Maybe they will just want what I have. Everyone wants to feel loved and know that they matter. Maybe the love of Jesus will shine strong enough that it's obvious that it's the only way to find true happiness. Maybe they will instead question, how can I have what you have? It goes on. Because I'm a Christian, I will make the effort. The effort to show people that they matter to God. As scary and inconvenient as at times it is, I want to be the hands of God reaching out to others. Because I'm a Christian, I will make the effort. What is it that pries us loose from our comfort zones and moves us to reach out to others and to serve others when even in our flesh we'd rather not do it? It can't just be guilt. It can't just be some sense of duty because those things, yeah, they work for a while, but there has to be something else that would, in that person's words, make me want to do these things anyway. What force is there within the Christian that causes us to act when other people don't? I got a hint from one person's response that simply said this, because I'm a Christian, I want to love like Jesus. Person's on to something. But let me ask you this, is it possible to love like Jesus just by watching and imitating him or does something else have to be in place for us to really do that? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you would, where we're going to finally head to our key verse here. I want to wind up this morning by taking you to this verse that we considered actually back in May, but we didn't land on it for very long. 
It's, it's 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. And I'm going to start reading in verse 5 just to give you a little bit of context. And here is what the Holy Spirit says to us through the Apostle Paul. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is true that we can be inspired to, to love like Jesus or to try to love like Jesus by, by meditating on how much he has loved us, particularly how much he loved us on the cross. That's very true. It's also true that the, the gratitude and the appreciation for what Jesus has done is a major motivator for us to please him and, and, and to serve others as he puts people with needs in our path. But in addition to that, we have something else. We have something else. This verse says that when you came to Jesus as your Savior, something happened to you. Something actually happened to you. God actually did something in your heart. He changed you. He put something inside of you that was not there before you knew Christ. And whatever happened to you here was pretty powerful because Paul, in describing it, harkens back to God's very first act in creation when he said, let there be light. So here's what happened. God himself, with his mighty creation power, has turned on a light in your heart. And not only was that a powerful work of God, but the tense of the verb here, he has shown in our hearts, tells us that what he's done has already been accomplished. God has already turned that light on. However, the effects of what God has done go on. God has done something powerful in your heart. The effects of this are still working themselves out in your experience from day to day. And that makes you different as a Christian. What has God done? Well, by the power of God's Holy Spirit, He has given you new life. Not just in some objective theoretical sense, but in your actual experience, the life that you are living now is actually different than the one that you were living before you came to know Jesus. And the Holy Spirit does more than just bring you to life spiritually. He does more than that. He actually hangs around. And He empowers you. And He guides you in this new life as this new life becomes more dominant in your heart and in your experience. The light that God turned on in your heart when you came to Jesus is still shining today. And Paul describes that light as the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You now, if you know Jesus, at some level, you have now seen the glory of God. You have experienced an, an impact from the glory of God in your life. And what it's done is it's given you a whole new taste in life. This past Friday, for dinner, our family enjoyed Katie Geshevsky's beef brisket recipe. It's so good. Um, and, and the reason we did that is because the first time we tried it, there was a new taste. We were like, we have to have that again. And so, the other day, we did. It's that powerful. Okay, now this, this, this thing we're talking about with the glory of God is, is, is even more powerful, right? The glory of God has shown in our hearts and it, it's given us a new taste that says, you know what, that what, what I experienced when I came to know Jesus, that new sensation, I, I want that again. I want that to happen again. I want more of that. 
And you know what that glory looks like? It looks like the face of Christ, Paul says. So it's the love of Jesus. It's the character of Jesus. That's what God's glory looks like. And now we're free to live for that and to continue to pursue that so we can taste that again and again. Now this light may sometimes shine very brightly in your life. Other times when you're not exactly walking closely with Jesus, it's going to grow dim. But it will never go away. And it shows up in different ways. It may be this desire we're talking about to share what God has done for you in Christ. It may be a heart of compassion for others. It'll be a hatred for sin, not just in your own life, but when you see what it does to other people around you. It'll be a genuine love for other people that motivates you to act on their behalf. It'll be a courage to step out in faith and and do something for God or for others that you would not normally have done. You will have a love for, for the fellow members of this big fan club called the Body of Christ. You'll have a thirst for worshiping God. You'll have a longing to spend time with God in prayer. And you will enjoy meditating on His Word. Now, These things may not always be there at maximum levels all the time, but they are there. The Holy Spirit has placed them there. And these new desires and these new motivations in your life need to be embraced. They need to be nursed. You need to pray for God to grow them in your heart and in your life. And when you get an opportunity, you need to practice using them. To me, one of the greatest examples of this is something I experience almost every year. Um, Pretty much every year, but this year. (laughs) Uh, Every other year, um, sometimes in the middle of June, almost every year in the middle of June, I find myself standing in a room down in Somerton, South Carolina, and I am surrounded by about 40 people, and I am leading them in an orientation program. Uh, These people start at about age 20 or so, and they go all the way up to sometimes people in their 60s and 70s. These brave and adventurous Christians have decided to be counselors at Power Time Camp. Uh, Some of them have given up their vacation, their paid time off to be there. Uh, They will spend the next week of their lives in a near constant state of exhaustion. Uh, They will experience living conditions and bathroom conditions that are a lot different than what they experience in their houses. Um, Some of them will experience third grader homesickness. Um, Some of them will experience all the high school drama they could ever want but they don't know exactly what they're going to get over the next five days of their lives. But you know what? They still come. And when I look around at their faces when I'm doing this orientation, I don't see this dread like, what's going to happen to me this week? What I see is something very different because for most of them, there is no place on earth they would rather be than at that place and that time. And there is something inside their hearts reminding them that there's no greater satisfaction in life than being used by God to help change someone else's life for Jesus' sake. And that's just one of a million different ways people do this. How will you do it? How will you make the effort? Is there a, a holy discontent in your heart about something that you just know shouldn't be this way? God's glory is is not quite shining through. It's being muffled or it's being obstructed by by sin or by injustice or by poverty and need or by pain or by sickness or by grief. That very discontent that you feel is probably the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift from God that is inviting you to get involved and to make the effort and to change something in your world 
And I've seen people in this congregation do that time and time again. Because you're a Christian, you are not content with the status quo in your life or the lives of the other hurting people around you. Because you're a Christian, the joyful desire to serve God that has taken root in your heart can overcome the fear, the apathy, and the laziness that tends to keep you from moving. Because you're a Christian, you will make the effort. Because you're a Christian, you can't really be satisfied until you share with somebody else what God has done or is doing in your life. I'm going to give you one really specific kind of invitation today, and this is, this is not the only way you can apply God's Word today, but it's, it's one way you can do it. I want to close by inviting you to do this. If you have something that is burning in your heart, that you need to share with somebody. Maybe you need to share it with the church family or a group of people here. We want to help you make that happen. Okay, so it may be something that takes 20 seconds to share. It may be more extensive. That's okay. But if you have a testimony of any kind you'd like to share, either how, how, about how God made himself real to you, how God brought you to himself through Christ, or maybe about anything else that he's done in your life since then, and God won't let you go until you share it, then please let me know. There are different ways we can do this. Okay, we can, you don't have to come up here and stand behind the pulpit. We can record you on camera, you know, telling a story or whatever, and then we can play it. And we won't use the security cameras. Okay, we'll, we'll get your good side. You can write something that, I, that can be shared or you can read. Uh, you can share something with one of our classes or one of our small groups. Or, or, or maybe even if you want to do it this way, you can speak from up here on stage. We can do it in different ways, but the idea is this. God has done a work in my life and I cannot be satisfied until I share it with somebody else. Ever felt like that? Are you feeling like that? Maybe something's stirring now. Think about that and don't let it go. Don't quench that fire. Somebody else needs to know. Let's pray.